Where they were, yeah. This is uh, week number two, Irrelevant, Does the Bible Matter? Second uh, series, uh, in the series last week, we looked at 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. The key first thing we said, if you're going to be relevant, the first thing we have to do is make sure that we are daily uh, in our hearts revering Christ as Lord. That, that's the first step. If, if you want to be relevant as you talk about Jesus and have people ask you about uh, why you follow Jesus, if you're not daily revering Christ as Lord, they're not going to ask. That's got to be first. Make Jesus first. Make uh, Jesus King and Lord and Master. And then, it says, then get prepared because when they see Jesus in you, they're going to ask. Why, why do you behave like you do? Why are you so generous? Why are you so kind even to unkind people? Why are you forgiving to people who do bad things to you? They're going to ask, why don't you uh, gossip? Why don't you shade truth? Why don't you get drunk or get high? They're going to want to know, why do you live differently than everybody else? But here's a hard truth. If no one's asking why you live different, you're probably not. And uh, maybe you need to get back to revering Christ as Lord daily. Because when you do, get ready, they're going to ask. And it says, 1 Peter 3.15, when they ask, we respond with gentleness and respect. Gentleness Strength under control, we don't, we don't respond with weakness. In other words, it's strength under the control of Jesus Christ. The idea comes from riding a horse, powerful, stallion, and you're able to control it. That's what Jesus can do in us. Respond with gentleness, respond with respect. You don't judge them, you're not harsh, you're not rude. You give them permission to say yes or say no. And we concluded last week with a strong warning. Lots of folks these days in an attempt to be relevant, water down, soften, adjust the truth of the Bible. Why would they do that? Because they're trying to fit in. They want to be relevant. They want people to think that I'm politically correct and I understand the times. But we said last week, God's Word the Bible is real truth with real answers to sugarcoat, to compromise, to reconfigure the Bible. Give me your eyes. Is to lose the power, <laughs> to lose the authority, to lose the integrity of our foundation. We can't sugarcoat, adjust, water down truth. We share it with gentleness and respect. Today... Um, we're going to look at this key core central fact. If the Bible is the inspired Word of God, then Jesus raised from the dead. If the Bible really is true, really is inspired, and contains answers for life, then the key core central truth of the Bible is true. And if it's not, then it's not very relevant because it's not true. The Bible stands or falls on the key core 
central fact. If the Bible's inspired, then Jesus raised from the dead. Christianity without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without its final chapter. It's not Christianity at all. Got that? If, if you think, well, well, you're just missing the fight. No, no, it, it's gone. There is no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, here we go. Uh, the resurrection is what distinguishes Jesus from all other religious founders. Lots of slides today. The bones of Abraham, the bones of Muhammad, the bones of Buddha, the bones of Confucian, Lao Tzu and Zoaster are still here on earth. They're to dust by now, but they're still here on earth. But the tomb of Jesus is empty. That's the difference. The tomb of Jesus is empty. Uh, so we're going to focus our attention on the evidence for the tomb being empty. Because that's, that's, that's really the key point. Is the tomb of Jesus empty because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? If that's historical fact, this is the most relevant book on planet Earth. If that's not true, let's just move on, okay? We have no relevancy. We got nothing to say. It, it all rises or falls on the historicity, the evidence behind the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You overselling today, Pastor Jeff? Uh-uh. <laughs> It's really, it's really that critical. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where you want to be, on your phone, in your Bible. This has become the most important section for biblical scholars in the last 30 years. So as we read, realize this is where the action is, where, where people who want to debate whether the resurrection is true or not, it's, it all goes on right here, 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 1 to 8, if you're able, would you stand? Let's, uh, let's read out loud from this very important, it's all important, but this is extra important section of God's book. You ready? Let's read together. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For I already received, I passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Let's pray. Lord, help us to dig well today into the evidence of whether that tomb is empty. Would you help us to do that today? Help us to understand why the resurrection is so central and core to our faith. And Lord, would you help us to examine the evidence and the data, perhaps in a new and a fresh way, Lord, for some. And I want to 
just acknowledge, Lord, there probably are some folks here who are skeptical, some who doubt that anyone could literally, bodily, physically arise from the dead. Lord, would you uh, help them to examine this evidence in a fair and honest way? Pray for those watching on Facebook even right now. Lord, Lord, help them to drop their prejudices and just listen to the evidence. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel facts. Might these facts be received. Lord, help some to believe these facts today in your church. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, you can be seated. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not just a Christian doctrine. Okay, a lot of folks put this, oh, this is, you're talking theology, Pastor Jeff. And you need to understand, yes, it is theology, yes, it is doctrine, but it's also an historical event. That's huge. It's not just fancy doctrine, it's something that occurred in history. And I'm pleased to report today there's lots of historical data, lots of solid evidence to confirm the resurrection isn't just wishful thinking. I'm happy to report there's lots of facts that show this is indeed a fact of history. And, and I said this before, I'm going to say it again. If the central main core of the message of the Bible is true and verifiable and something that there's lots of evidence and data for, then this Bible that you hold in your hands or you have on your phone is the most relevant and trustworthy and believable book ever written. This really is the manual, the owner's manual for life, if this event is true. And let's be honest, if it's not, let's just shut them up, put them on the shelf, and move on with our lives. That's how central this is. This is core. This is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to offer you six pieces of evidence today. Uh, Grab your bulletin, would you? Okay, so when you open up your bulletin, guess what we have? Da-da-da-da-da! We've got a place for you to take notes. Isn't that amazing? Nice. Six pieces of evidence that I'm going to offer you today And you might just want to say, well, this might be important enough that I might take a note or two. First piece of evidence for the empty tomb as historical fact is this. Early tradition passed along by the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15 is so strong that even the leading New Testament He's agnostic. He doesn't really believe there is a God, and if there is a God, he calls himself agnostic, leaning toward atheist. Okay? So this is the leading guy, Bart Ehrman. Here's what he says. This section, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8, goes back somewhere around one year of the actual event of the cross. Now you're thinking, well, okay, <laughs> that's nice. Why is that so important? Because early confession of the church, there wasn't 
decades and centuries for people to add a bunch of stuff. It's right back there at the very beginning uh, to Christians who had no books. At the, almost nobody had books. Too expensive. Let me give you another thought. Um, most followers of Jesus at this time couldn't read. So they had no books. They, they had not the ability to read. So what they were taught had to be given in a memorable, understandable way. So, in other words, what you were saying, it, it needed to be in such a way they could remember it. It was truth. It was factual. They could remember it. They could share it. And, and that's what you have here. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. It's an early confession of the early church. Like it goes back maybe even as much as just a, a month or two after the cross. Got it? It's, that's how early this is. Look what it says. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 3, Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, Jesus was seen by witnesses. Who? Peter, 12 disciples, to more than 500 and then Paul says, and then I personally am an eyewitness. Got it? This is early. Deity of Christ, death of Christ, resurrection. Do you believe? Do you believe? Paul says, I gave you what I received myself. I passed it on exactly as it was given me. And please understand, this is written in such a way that you can understand it, you can remember it, you can share it. It's like, Jesus died for our sins, Jesus was buried, Jesus was raised on the third day, Jesus was seen by witnesses, something they could remember, something they could pass on to others. Here's how unheard of getting back within a year, and remember, even the strongest, smartest scholars who are skeptics and agnostics and atheists... Uh, Here's what they say. This is like right up against it. This came right away. Alexander the Great, the general. Anybody heard of him? Okay, four of us. Anyway, um, anyway, the, the source that wrote about Alexander the Great, okay? And nobody questions this, wrote 300 years after he died. 300 years. Lots of time for lots of myth and Lots of extra things to go on. Nobody, but this goes right up, and, and people are saying, the closer you go to the source, the more reliable the data. 1 Corinthians 15 is as good as it gets. It's as good as it gets. You want some more? Some of you are saying, oh, can we go to the second point? Others of you are saying, give me more. Okay, here's, write this down. You can go to YouTube, Gary Habermas research professor at Liberty, Liberty University uh, at the School of Divinity. He's got this. It's called The Resurrection Argument That Changed a Generation. I thought it was fascinating. There's uh, 29 minutes and 24 minutes, okay? So if you want more, he's the man. He's like the expert here. Um, I would also recommend to you there's this book sold 5 million plus. It's called The Case for Christ. A lot of the information you're getting came from that. Oh, and if you don't read, guess what? Do not be discouraged. There's a movie. <laughs> the Case for Christ. 
I think it's on Netflix now. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can rent it very cheaply. You can buy it pretty cheap. Let me, let me warn you, a little warning, okay? It's his test, Lee Strobel's testimony. Can I just say quickly, he was not a nice person. He was ugly and mean, and they show Lee being ugly and mean. While he, what happened, Lee's wife became a follower of Jesus. He's ticked. And now he goes on a journey, and he's going to prove this Jesus stuff is a myth and false. And on his journey, guess what? He realizes this Jesus stuff is true, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And before you know it, he's actually a, a pastor in a big church down in Chicago. Okay? There you go. Uh, that's what I would recommend. Good stuff. Second piece of evidence we're moving on of the empty tomb as historical fact. Jesus was seen and touched and ate with over 500 eyewitnesses. You need to understand something. This is unheard of. <laughs> Nothing in ancient literature has this many eyewitnesses, people attesting to the facts. 500 people who saw him hanging on a cross, dead, spear in the side. We're not even going to go into all the evidence that he was really dead. It's overwhelming. And then multiple appearances to multiple pe people, witness after wi witness, evidence after evidence. He was dead, and I saw him. I talked with him. I touched him. He's alive. 500 plus. Dozens and dozens of eyewitness testimony in the book of Acts. It's filled. I was there. I saw him. I'm an eyewitness. And he says right here in 1 Corinthians 15, most of them have, are still alive. When Paul was writing here about 55 A.D., about 20 years, 25 years after the cross, guess what? Most of them are still living. They're still, they knew that what Paul was saying was true because they were eyewitnesses. The appearances of Jesus, here's what Michael Green says, are as well authenticated as anything in antiquity. You hearing music? Like the angels are like singing along as we go here. There can be no rational doubt they occurred. The appearances of Jesus and the main reason why Christians became sure of the resurrection in the early days was just this. They could say with assurance, we've seen him. We know it's true. Or I know it's true because my dad saw him. And I trust my dad and it changed his life powerful stuff. Third piece of evidence for the empty tomb as historical fact. When Jesus was crucified, his followers <laughs> became cowards. You recall that? Peter's denying, and then when he's on the cross, you know that they all scattered? They all ran, and the, the early church leaders scattered and ran and hid, and, and they were frightened to death. Okay, So that's how they were at the time of the cross and the crucifixion. But then shortly after, like just a few days after, his followers would spend the rest of their lives proclaiming who Jesus was. So you had these weak, willied cowards. Suddenly now they're boldly proclaiming about Jesus Christ as Lord. He died on the cross 
for our sin. He was buried. He returned to life. He was seen alive by him. They grew strong and bold and proclaimed the message of the cross and the empty tomb. Even though, give me your eyes, they were ridiculed, they were beaten, they were tortured, they were jailed for the message, they were suddenly willing to die for the message that they'd been given. What changed? Think with me now. Weak, cowardly, frightened, fearful, and now suddenly these guys are bold and they don't care if they die. Here's what changed. You ready? They were fully convinced that they'd seen Jesus alive after he was dead. That's what changed. Suddenly, the risen Christ radically changed them. They knew their message was true. Why? Because they watched him die. They knew he was fully dead, and now they'd seen him at multiple times. He's alive. <laughs> and suddenly, man, are they bold. Man, are they courageous. But you might object. I, I know of Muslims all the time that strap on bombs and are willing to die for their message, right? Or you can maybe think about followers way back of Jim Jones or David Koresh, people who are willing to die for their cult leader. Here's the key difference. Give me your eyes. Here's the difference. The apostles were willing to die for something they had seen with their own eyes. The apostles were willing to die for something they had touched with their own hands. They were in a unique position, not just to believe Jesus rose from the dead, they actually knew it for sure because they were there. Understand? That's a difference. Here's a key idea. Case for Christ. People will die for their religious beliefs if they sincerely believe they're true. But people won't die for their religious beliefs if they know their beliefs are false. These guys were right up close. And if it was false, they weren't willing to die. No one dies for what they know not to be true. But these guys were up close. They knew whether it was a lie or whether it was true. And all of them suffered. And most of them, most of them were martyred, murdered, slaughtered, crucified, thrown to the wild beasts. And yet, despite all that, they were bold. They were strong. They were courageous. They couldn't be stopped. <laughs> it's pretty powerful stuff. Fourth piece of evidence of the empty tomb as historical fact. You ready for this one? Without the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead, how do you explain the last 2,000 years of history? Okay? Just think about it. The greatest event, the thing that has shaped our world more than anything else, is the death, the shed blood, the burial, and the resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ. How do you explain how it's shaped and altered our world? It's affect cultures and politics and religion and geographic borders. Nothing even comes close to shaping our world like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I like this. Follow along. If you were a Martian... Looking down on planet Earth, first century, okay? And you're watching, okay? And Jesus goes to the cross, sheds his blood. Uh, would you think Christianity or the Roman Empire would survive? Okay? 
you, you got this ragtag group of Jews, uh, and they're following around this crucified carpenter from this obscure little village, and they were saying triumphed over death or the great and mighty Rome. Which of these do you think will survive? And yet today we name our children Peter and Paul, and we name our dogs Caesar and Nero. Just saying. Small, insignificant band of really weak Jews managed to overtake and outlast ancient Rome. Wow. And literally changed the world. Changed the ancient world and, and the message of Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb continues to change. It is the dominant event in all of history. How do you explain that? Fifth piece of evidence for the empty tomb as historical fact. If a man can predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I just go with whatever that guy says. Think about it. You can predict and then pull off your own death, burial, resurrection, and then it happens just as you predicted, then maybe we should follow everything this guy says. Matthew 12, 39 and 40. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. None will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You think they got it when he said it? Probably not. But we look at that and they say that's exactly what he was doing. He was predicting his death, his burial, and his resurrection, just like Jonah was the barfed up on the beach. Anyway, uh, the resurrection was the sign that demonstrated to the world that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Do you get that? This is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the big sign. Yep, he's the second person of the Trinity. He is the sinless Lamb of God. He is the one who's come to take away the sin of the whole world. Why would you know that to be true? Because he predicted and then pulled off his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And you see that very clearly. Um, Go with me to John 10, verses 17 and 18. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up again. There's like a dozen of these recorded again and again. He's predicting his death, his burial, his resurrection. And these predictions were so numerous and so well-known that the Jewish religious leaders, they were scared. Go with me on your phone in your Bible, Matthew 27. I just want to show you. This is, this is how well-known these predictions were, even by the Jewish religious leaders. Matthew 27, verse 62, the next day, The one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Uh, Sir, 
They said, we remember that while he, Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. Verse 64, so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he'd been raised from the dead. And that deception is going to be way worse than his first. Uh, Pilate said, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Make it as secure as possible. Verse 66, so they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Oh, and by the way, the penalty for guards who failed mission. Anybody know Roman guards? Prisoner escapes. You, you, don't, you don't succeed. What was, what was the penalty? It was death. It was death. They, they, were, they were charged. You do the job. If you don't do the job, you die. There was no need for securing the tomb with a Roman seal and a Roman guard unless clearly Jesus had predicted, I'm going to come back from the dead. <laughs> and the Jewish leaders were frightened of that. Evidence is clear. Jesus predicted his own death, predicted his resurrection from the dead, and then he pulled it off. You know what? That's somebody worth following. That's somebody worth living for. That's somebody worth obeying whatever he says. That's strong evidence. Final piece of evidence, number six, for the empty tomb is historical fact. The resurrection of Debbie Habermas. Um, 1995, this is Gary Habermas. I quoted him already. Uh, he had a 43-year-old wife named Debbie, and she was dying of stomach cancer, and Gary was facing raising four children all alone. Gary said, I sat on my porch. My wife was dying upstairs, and it was an awful time. It was the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. He says, I couldn't imagine anything worse. I knew if God were to come to me, I had one big question for God. Lord, why is Debbie upstairs dying right now? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary. And he says, I think I heard him actually say this. Did I raise my son from the dead? And I'd say, come on, Lord, you know I've written seven books on that topic. Of course Jesus was raised from the dead. But what about Debbie? <laughs> I think he'd just keep coming back to me with the same question. And I sensed he did. Did I raise my son from the dead? Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Until I finally got the point, the resurrection says that if Jesus raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, there's an answer to Debbie's death. There's an answer to every one of our family member and friend's death. Gary said, and you know what? It worked for me while I was sitting on the porch, and it still works for me today. And you ready? It'll work for you right where you're at. Worked for Gary while he's on the porch and his wife was dying. 
And it works today and it will work for each of us. He says this, losing my wife was the most painful experience that I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through it, it can get me through anything. Can I tell you something? This is a foundational fact to hold on tight to. This, this is one of those core foundational things that we hold on. It's the key event of the Bible. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The evidence is strong and convincing and compelling. You understand? This is the key event. And if the key event of the Bible is true and trustworthy, guess what that has to say about the Bible? Why does the Bible matter? Because it's real. Because it's historical. Because there's evidence to back it up. Because it's something we can put our, our lives and build our lives upon. Here's what you need to know. Final thought. The evidence is strong. It's overwhelming. Here's my question. How strong and daily are you walking with the one who arose from the dead for you? The problem isn't with the evidence. The question is, how strong are you responding to the one who literally, bodily, physically arose from the dead? And he did that for you. And he did that for me. Let's pray. Your eyes closed. Nobody's looking around right now. I just want to quote from you a verse. Jesus said, yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Would you let that soak in for just a moment? To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. The key verbs, believe plus receive equal become. Believe plus receive equals become. Key fact number one, Jesus is God who took on flesh for you and me. Left the glory and the splendor of heaven, Jesus took on human flesh and did it perfectly. Key fact number two, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. All your sin, past, present, future. Key fact number three, Jesus was buried because he was dead. He took our place. He took my place in the grave. Key fact number four, Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday morning. Literally, bodily, physically, he arose for you. He arose for me. Key fact number five, he's alive. Jesus is alive and was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. And I can testify he's alive because I've seen him alive in my life. And did you know he'll come alive in your life as well? So what do you got to do? You, you need to believe those facts for you. Jesus, I, I believe. 
you are the second person of the Trinity, the sinless Lamb of God took my place. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my greatest problem. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you were buried. You took my place. Jesus, I believe you didn't stay dead, literally, bodily, physically. You rose from the dead. I believe you're alive. Next verb, I receive you by faith. And when you believe those facts and receive Jesus, you become a child of Jesus. Isn't that good? His followers, no turning back. Right where you're seated, you can do that. Believe and receive. The evidence, the data is compelling and strong How strong and daily are you walking with the one who arose from the dead for you? How you doing on that? Eh, Pretty spotty. Maybe once or twice a week. The evidence makes this the owner's manual for life. I'm I'm just telling you that those, those followers who are cowards suddenly courageous and bold. Why? Fully convinced Jesus is alive. Should change us from the inside out. Lord, make us bold. Make us strong. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to check our brains at the front desk. Lord, thank you for giving us strong, compelling evidence and data that that tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray all these things.